Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, the third week of our summer hiatus, we go back to the end of November 2017 and part of my conversation with Dr. Osvaldo Oyola. Along the way, we discuss the eventual hoverboard traffic jams, when to talk to your college students about light bondage, and really, really getting to know your neighbors. Like last week's Summer Hiatus episode, I wanted to highlight something I've really been enjoying lately. I've mentioned in a few recent episodes that I've been patronizing my local library quite a bit, and the last time I was there, I spotted a DVD that was ostensibly for Hero, but really it was for me, and that was Sesame Street Old School. This was a compilation of episodes from roughly 1976 to 1979, so a little bit before my time as a kid, but familiar enough and old school enough to really bring back a lot of those fond memories. It's also really weird, and it was during a time when they were really just throwing everything at the wall to see what stuck. And I'm happy to say that while he wasn't as enthused by the live-action segments or by the cartoons, Hero really enjoyed any segment with a Muppet in it. Honestly, we put him in front of the TV in his little bouncing chair, and it's the longest he's sat still, potentially ever. I guess those children's television workshop people really know what they're doing. Also, I looked them up on Amazon. They're like 16 bucks. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, definitely check that out. We join this conversation already in progress. In December, drinking hot chata, I'd look psychotic in a balaclava. Winter's cold is too much to handle. Pinch of crabs, a pinch of your sandals. Right, so, and you can hear um, me fine. I, I was able to acquire a mic, so I think. Oh yeah, I think how'd that go? It, it was fine. I actually went online last night, and through Amazon Prime, I got free one-day shipping. So I just found a cheapish mic, and it arrived today, and I plugged it in. I still occasionally marvel at the Amazon Prime model because we don't have it here in Australia. Um, we don't have an official Amazon store apart from for Kindle stuff where they can jack up the price by 6 or $7 just because, you know, this digital product is being delivered to Australia as opposed to the U.S. Right. But where it does really come in handy is when I'm ordering Christmas presents because all of my family lives in Canada. And so whenever I like have to think about Christmas stuff, it is 900 times easier for me to just go on Amazon.ca and pick two-day shipping from like the 17th of December than have to worry about, okay, I buy it here. It has to be something that's not heavy. Yeah. It has to be something that can be safely shipped, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I ship it, be like, oh, is it going to make it there in time? And it's like, no, it's so much easier. Actually, one year I went to Meyer, which is like a big department store, and I was there like looking around and I got frustrated because the lines were too long. And so I just went and sat on one of the couches in the furniture section and bought everything that I wanted to buy on Amazon. Wow, it's funny. And did before I left the store. So the future. That's the future we were promised and we're living in it. <laughs> All we need are the flying cars and the hoverboards. Exactly. The hoverboards don't blow up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was, I remember seeing one, I think they discussed it on We Have Concerns, where it was like you get this bronze alloy half pipe in your backyard and then you get something that looks like two floor buffers nailed together and you can kind of surf along this one particular surface in your backyard. <laughs> Weird. Seems like a lot of work to go to. <laughs> exactly. And one guy was like, yes, yes, we're in the hoverboard future welcome to the hoverboard future <laughs> like i was like no this is dumb no one wants this 
This is not what I want. Also, considering how bad I was at skateboarding, I'm pretty sure that I would suck at hoverboarding. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe, you know, it would be once they invented the real ones, there would be some sort of way that keeps you on, you know, some technology that keeps you upright, like a Segway, but on a hub. Yeah, yeah. You never know. It's like when they talk about flying cars and stuff. It's like, I am only just learning how to drive a regular car, <laughs> and it's really difficult. I don't want to have to take in, like, a third dimension into account. I have a friend who took helicopter flying lessons, and she was, oh, wow. and she was talking about how bizarre it was, all the different things that, it's like, you would think, oh, you're adding one more dimension, but they're, like, adding one more dimension adds this whole level of different things that you have to think about, you know, or plan for that we never consider, you know. Obviously, I guess that's kind of obvious, but still, I'd never known anyone who flew a helicopter before. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, and I remember, God, of all things, I was reading about Terminator 2 mm -hmm. when they've got the T-1000 flying the helicopter, and in order to have him shoot through the canopy, they had to have the stunt guy have an extra arm because you need two arms and two feet to fly a helicopter mm -hmm. to keep it balanced. And so he's like, well, how's he going to shoot at John and Sarah in the back of the truck? And so they're like, well, he's a robot. He can just grow another arm to hold his gun and shoot <laughs> out the middle of the canopy. Right. And that was the first time I thought, wait, you need all four limbs to fly a helicopter? And then I thought, of course you do. Because if you just had the one axis, you'd be tilting all over the place. Yeah, yeah that's why you never see a, a helicopter gunner. You know, like there's always another guy who's like the gunner. Not like so a... it wasn't just a narrative conceit to have like, you know, something attack the gunner. Yeah. Which I always think of for all that it has its face. Feelings. There was that one cool bit of Avatar where the dragon thing flies in and just like picks the gunner out of the middle of the helicopter and it's like, bye. I have never seen that movie. Eh, it's it's fine. Yeah, I actually, actually no, it's not fine. It has a lot of problems, but it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's I haven't fun. seen it. I actually haven't seen Terminator Two in forever because I didn't like it when I first saw it, and I've tried it like since then, and I never was impressed with it as everyone else always seems. I liked the first Terminator a lot, and somehow I was disappointed by Terminator Two, or somehow I felt like I didn't need to know anything more about the Terminator world. All I ever needed to know was that first film, and every other film has increasingly disappointed me. <laughs> I think I actually watched more of Terminator 2 when I was younger because it was less scary than the first one. Mm -hmm. At least the first, it was much more of an action movie rather than like a scary movie. Yeah. Because admittedly, I would have been maybe 12 when I was watching this. So the first one scared me because so many more people die in that movie in ways that are a bit more like a horror film. Right, you know, this unstoppable thing. Right, it's a much more of a horror film. I mean, in terms yeah. of its, if it's aesthetic too, yeah. Like when Sarah's roommate Ginger gets killed and her boyfriend gets killed, it's almost like something out of a Halloween movie with Michael Myers. Whereas the second one was much more an action movie, and I could look at that and go, okay, that's an action movie like Die Hard or like Rambo or things like that, where it's like that doesn't scare me in that way. So that was probably why I watched a lot more Terminator. Alien movies have that same arc, where the first one's clearly a horror movie, has a horror aesthetic, and the second one has mm -hmm. an action aesthetic. You know? Yeah, it's almost like James Cameron. <laughs> That's the thing about yeah. action movies. Yeah. <laughs> Just realized we brought up Avatar, and then we talked about another James Cameron movie, so yes. synergy. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a sequel that, that I loved, you know, that, that I still have returned to many times. So my middle school, thinking about Terminator, first I was thinking about the first time I saw it. I was going to think about the first time I saw it. And I realized that our middle school drama teacher showed it to us. Oh, my God. Which is really crazy because it's an <laughs> R-rated movie and he didn't edit it or anything. The sex scene was in there. I remember seeing the whole movie. Yeah, that's weird now. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that, but I, but I don't know what that means, but... It, 
See, I can remember being in high school and studying Macbeth, which I was happy about because I moved around so much. I had studied it the previous year, and so I basically had crib notes in my head, so I already knew everything I needed to know about Macbeth. But then we went to watch the, um, was the Roman Polanski one, and the teacher had to, like, super fast skip through the fact that, you know, all of the witches are naked. <laughs> and when Lady Macbeth has her out damn spot moment, she's naked too. And, and she's like, well, I have... Did he just forget? No, no, she was like, this is fine. We want to watch this because I want to see how it's blocked and dramatized and stuff. But I don't think I can show just like an extended scene of nudity to like a room that's like, I'd say about at least 40% teenage boys. Yeah, that's going to be a little weird. Uh, that's funny. I sometimes in my teaching show an episode of Transparent in my mm-hmm. class. And I'm teaching college students, so it's different. But I do have to say to them... Just so you know, there's a lot of non-sexual nudity in this episode. And there's also some light bondage in S&M. And they always are like... (laughs) It always feels a little strange to, you know, to say to my students. To to throw it in there and just be like, hey, just saying, there's some light bondage in S&M. If that's your thing, that's cool. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. But if you need to step out, that's cool too. Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) No one ever has yet. Everyone's always like, there's an element of like, it's better if the teacher doesn't acknowledge this thing. We could like see it. If they didn't acknowledge it, it would somehow be better for them, you know? But at least in their mind, the idea that their instructor is acknowledging the existence of these things sometimes I think freaks them out a little bit. Kimiko and I, because she's had lots of time sitting up with a baby, and so she's been like blowing through a lot of TV that she's meant to watch. Oddly enough, she's blown through all of The Handmaid's Tale while mm. breastfeeding, which I thought is like, that's some pretty great kind of cosmic irony there. Yeah, right. And she's like, I'm very glad. I didn't watch this when I was pregnant. I'm like, me too. (laughs) So what she's really decided to do is to start off at the beginning of Arrested Development because neither of us have seen it all the way through. Mm -hmm. I think I watched the first like three episodes when it first came to DVD and didn't get it. But now I've got like a decade of better comedy under my belt that I can understand how good it is. The fact that in, you know, 2005, there are jokes about how Tobias accidentally goes to a leather daddy bar. (laughs) It's like, I want a, a look that says, Dad that likes leather. <laughs> leather Daddy, sure. And instead, right. of, instead of going to the magic castle, he goes to the magic asshole. Right. <laughs> it's like, I want to be where the magic happens. And the guy with the writing crop is like, right this way. And I'm like, holy shit. This was on network television. Absolutely. But as far as I'm concerned, the best episode of that show is the one with, well, it has the hot cops in it. There's a couple ones with the hot cops, but the one with the teaching the lessons, the one-armed man who teaches the lessons. <laughs> and he's like, and that's why you always leave a note when you, to get the milk or whatever it is. But, <laughs> oh, yes. Whereas, yeah, it's like he has a guy do the flopsy and get hit by a car yes. and the arm comes off and everyone's screwed. And then five seconds later, there's <laughs> Lindsay going, oh, is that what that's about? <laughs> <laughs> what I love is at the very end, and like the catch at the end where he's like and that's why you don't try to teach people lessons <laughs> and, he's just, and he's used the one-armed man again it's just it's just perfect man i gotta watch that again speaking of one-armed man the, the quickest way to date yourself is to remember that no one remembers that the fugitive was a tv series before it was a harrison ford movie yeah <laughs> so and i remember saying at one point in like at work i forget what the context was but saying the it wasn't me it was the one-armed man yeah and just getting blank stares and i realized oh Oh, wait, no, no, no. I'm a good 20 years too late to be making any kind of topical references to to the fugitive. 
Yeah. It's funny how a movie like that at the time was so super popular and was on cable all the time after it like but then kind of kind of fell off. People don't talk about that movie that much anymore, I don't think. And they definitely don't talk about the TV show or anything. You know, I Yeah, I, I think if they're gonna talk about the movie they do the the parody thing of him in the drain with the I didn't kill my yes, wife. Yes, right. Care. I don't care, right. Pretty good movie. I should I should revisit that. Or at least I remember it yeah. being a good movie. I, I should revisit it. I don't I don't maybe I wouldn't I think I watched it when I was maybe fourteen and like a friend brought it over and we watched it. I remember the the tail end of that movie being very long so maybe i need to watch it again with a bit more patience although i was saying this uh, on twitter yesterday we watched it follows last night Mm -hmm. which is a really good and really tense and scary but earned a special place in my heart because it's 96 minutes long and it really reminded me that i want them to bring back both the 90 minute comedy Mm -hmm. and the 90 minute scary movie it's such a perfect unit of movie i agree movies been getting too long in general i mean i'm I'm not against a long movie i I can sit and watch a three-hour movie if it's a if it's a good movie but lots of movies feel like they trail on too long superhero movies definitely feel like they trail on too long especially comedies I find yeah you don't need a two and a half hour long comedy no certainly it's not like you get all those long takes and leaving the camera rolling and people improvising and it's just like maybe maybe it's like if you just like you were told all right this has to be a flat 90 minutes just go in and get the best stuff and get out yeah and I realized this a couple of years ago when, because there's a, a, a movie theater locally that does old movies it's called the Golden Age Cinema. Mm-hmm. And it's great because it's the old Paramount building and the theater is actually the old executive screening room. Mm-hmm. That's great. They've turned the lobby and the office into a bar. They'll do fancy cocktails and like you can get popcorn with Szechuan pepper on it and stuff. So it's fun. We have a theater like that that, that we uh, we have actually only gone to once, but there's the Alamo Draft House, which originally there was one in Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one in Texas, and which I've been to in Texas, but they opened one in Brooklyn and on my birthday we actually went and saw Spider-Man Homecoming there and it was great to sit in the big seats and have them deliver beer and fried pickles. Excellent. Yeah, the thing is though is like I went to see Wayne's World uh-huh. and I was shocked at how lean that movie is and really how they jam-packed everything into it and then you're out of there in 90 minutes. And it's right. Like, wow, you know, we could still go grab a drink after this, after our 7 o'clock showing, you know, after, as opposed to going to see a movie at 8 o'clock and being like, wow, it's nearly midnight, we need to get a taxi home. Right. Right. Although it's funny you mentioned the, the beer at the Alamo Draft House. Near my house in Leichhardt, which is kind of in the Leichhardt, sort of the Italian district of Sydney, and has been for many, many years. And so you've got fantastic restaurants and you've got bars and stuff, but the cinema is the Palace Cinema. And it, it's kind of an independent cinema. Like they'll often have like the Italian Film Festival will come there and stuff. But because of where it is, they also serve wine and like sandwiches and stuff. Right. And what's funny is that you go to order wine and you go, they go, all right, what size do you want? And I'm like, it's, it's a wine glass guy you know mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know and they're like do you want feature length epic or double feature <laughs> and i went uh double feature i guess and what double feature means is that they pour it into the wine glass and then until there's about maybe a quarter of an inch from the top of the glass and then they stop wow that's a lot of wine it is it makes for the viewing experience very fun although i went to see denial which is you know, a powerful movie, well done. And I bought, and there's a, an Australian cinema treat called a chop top, which is where it's like a waffle cone with ice cream on the top. And then they put like a chocolate shell around it. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of crunch into the chocolate shell. This particular cinema does very nice ones where they'll do like, oh, it's a salted caramel one. It's like a coffee one. It's this, it's like all these nice ones. And so I got a chop top and my double feature of wine. I realized I'm like, oh, I don't want to eat the chop top. It's going to ruin the taste of the wine. So I'm sitting there and I'm 
sipping on my wine, and my girlfriend's like, you need to eat your chocolate. I'm like, oh, it's a quiet scene. I don't want to be the one opening the wrapper and making noise in the quiet. I'll wait till there's like a crowd scene. Or and then I, as I finish my wine, I finish my wine, and then I go to open it, and what I realize is that inside of the chocolate shell, in that time, the ice cream had liquefied. Oh, boy. So I took a bite, and this thing basically suffered structural integrity failure all over my leg. That's not something you want to happen ever, but definitely not during a movie. In a dark theater. Yeah. I had to- like dug out and looked like I had just murdered a snowman (laughs) (laughs) and they come back and be like what did I miss it's like oh well there's a tense courtroom scene and I told you to eat that chuck top earlier I'm like yes yes you did (laughs) yeah my only concern about beer in the movies is having to go for bathroom breaks which I don't want to have to do during a movie (laughs) yeah you gotta balance that and that's why there's that run pee at where it's like okay here's a non-spoilery scene where if you see this you've got two minutes yeah, so get out, go to the bathroom, come back. I've never heard of that. That's pretty awesome. I should look into that. I always, but that's what I do. I sit there until I'm like, okay, now it's a quiet scene. This is where they're gonna re- talk over the plan. All right, I can, I can duck out and actually see the plan, and that'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, hang on. that plane going over. I hear it. Can you hear that? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about Sydney is that because the airport is so close to the middle of the city literally everywhere is a flight path you can like graph rental prices based around where the flight paths are wow well my concern is that my neighbors are going to start fighting outside at some point which they do at one point every day and i'm like they're gonna they normally don't do it this late but i'm like today's the day while we're recording the podcast the neighbors are going to start fighting (laughs) yeah we have some neighbors across the way and they're the kind of neighbors where they have a, a garden out front but they also have like a million golf umbrellas because all their plants are like partial shade. So their house just looks like this like bouquet of umbrellas. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the lady's name, but I know her husband's name because she shouts at him all the time. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and shouts at them and their dogs. And it's just like, cause I hear Fred, Fred, what are you doing? Fred, you gotta take the dogs out. <laughs> and so yes, whenever we have to refer to our neighbors, it's never as Fred, it is Fred. <laughs> I've written a little bit of actually about the intimacy of urban sound and like how the city I mean I don't know how where you live but where I live you know we're kind of all crammed in together in these uh, small uh, four family apartment buildings and we can basically hear everybody else's life you may not know your neighbor's name but you know what they fight about with their wife or their kid or when someone stayed up late or whatever because you can't help but be involved in each other's life just through sound I had a downstairs neighbor in my first ever apartment in Australia who, whenever she would fight with her boyfriend, at a certain point to stop the conversation, she would walk over to the stereo and blast the Scissor Sisters' I Don't Feel Like Dancing. (laughs) Specifically that song from that album. So you'd know the fight was over because you'd hear... Does she have it queued up and like ready to go? (laughs) Like, I can't hear that song without hearing screaming and having that screaming then be cut off with. Yeah. 